0: All right, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do, grab them. We're going to go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 2 and 3. And as you go there, just again, we're starting a six-week series called Act Like Men. So we're going to talk about what a man is over the next six weeks. And I've had some women say, well, what about us? Sometimes the way the question gets asked is from single women saying, Pastor, where have all the good men gone? And I go, I know, I'm trying to do my best, all right? So, women, here's what we don't need during the next six weeks. We don't need any preach it, brother, amen. That's right, pastor, okay? You can just kind of sit back and relax. I would invite you to take it all in. In a little while, we'll tell you a couple of ways you could help. And then the sixth week, I am gonna talk about the reality that it's not good for man to be alone and what your brothers in Christ Need from you, and we're going to go through that on the sixth week. So, the question is, where have all the good men gone? Well, you got to dig in and say, Well, what is a man? What does it mean to be a man? I'll tell you, I'm a man, and I love to hunt, and I love to fish, and my favorite color is camo, and I love plaid, and I like college football. Can we agree not to talk about that today? We won't talk about that. (laughs) And I've got a beautiful wife, and I got healthy kids, and I work out, and I still have a few muscles, not as many as I used to, and I drive a four-wheel drive truck, and I like cold beer. That's right, I said it, cold beer. And not too much, just the right amount, you know? And I like chicken wings and nachos, and I hunt my groceries with a bow and an arrow, and I got more guns, and I have fingers. I could have one on me right now, that's just true. <laughs> and none of that makes me a man. It makes me awesome, <laughs> but not a man. The reality is that you could be a scoop neck, skinny jeans, scarf wearing vegan, sipping a latte at your hipster coffee shop, and you could be a man. Maybe, but you could. (laughs) So what we're going to talk about is what it means to be a man. Every single man, whether you're married or single, every single man has called to be a prophet, priest, servant, king, provider, and protector. A prophet, priest, servant king, provider, and protector. And so the question is, well, what happened? I mean, what went wrong? How in the world did we go from the Apostle Paul and William Wallace and John Wayne to what we have now? Well, there's a lot. I mean, there's a whole lot. You see, there's nothing more dangerous in this world than an insecure, ungrounded man. It's what gangs are full of. It's why casinos grow larger and larger. It's what bars are full of. And think about this. Almost every single nonprofit that's ever been started could be traced back because men did not do what God had called men to do. In fact, some of you ladies and children, as I talk through this over the next six weeks, you are going to. You're going to be in some serious pain and the reason that you're in the pain that you're in is because some man did not do what he was supposed to do. A father, a husband, a boyfriend, that he leveraged his own strength for abuse instead of serving you. And so you say, how did we get here? And we could go, we could go historical. We could talk about the realities of slavery and a racialized society and how that just tore families apart and how it affects everybody in our society today. Or we could talk about the industrial revolution that for thousands of years, if we were born a few hundred years ago, most of us would get up every day and go to work with our dads. And our dad, we would get to see our dads um, make decisions and hiring people and firing people and, and you know what that's called? That's called discipleship. But then the industrial revolution came along and you pair that with the great American dream and things like the lunchbox and the lazy boy were invented. And so dad, during the peak hours of his day, was always somewhere else. And maybe the family got the leftovers. And then in one of the most tragic things that ever happened, the raising of children was then considered only woman's work. And we could talk about the reality of the effects of a wartime generation that men primarily went off to stand in the gap against great evils that were attacking our country and attacking freedom. And so, yeah, the World War I and two generation, for sure, the greatest generation. And most of us have been raised by or have grandparents that were in some kind of war. And what those men had to do in those foxholes and on those enemy lines, for them to be able to do that, they had to switch off a part of them emotionally. And then the hard part is, when you get back home, it's hard to turn that thing back on. So I'm 43 years old. My dad served in Vietnam. And anytime I dig around and we try to talk about heart matters, eventually we get to the point where it's just, we don't talk about that stuff. You see, what went wrong? Not only that, there is no rite of passage in our current context that makes a boy a man. I was in Kenya, Africa for a summer one year when I was in seminary, and I spent some time with the Maasai tribe. And so in that tribe, one of the tribal warriors comes to me and says, so how do you know when a boy is a man in your culture? I like, go, ah, ooh, that's a good question. See, there is no rite of passage for when a boy becomes a man in our culture. In their culture, they went out and there was this, I mean, they went hunting for lions and either you didn't make it back or you came back and you were a warrior. And in our culture, how do we know when a boy becomes a man? Is it, I mean, how do we know? Obamacare says 26. That's it, 26. <laughs> 25, you can still, you know, be on your mama's insurance. 26, you better get your own. Budweiser says 21. 21. That's when you're responsible enough. The United States Army says 18. Xbox says 17. By the way, there is no such thing as a mature video game. Just jot that down. DMV says 16. Disney says 10. They charge you adult prices at 10 years old. The only place I can find any consistency is both Delta Airlines and Advil agree. Two years old, you're an adult. (laughs) And because there is no definition of manhood, and because there is no rite of passage of manhood, then what begins to happen is you get this thing, this delayed boyhood. For all of human history, until about the last 50 or 60 years, there were only two categories of male there was a boy, and there was a man. And typically, what would happen is he would either go and start a family, start a career, or fight in a war, and he became a man. And then, in just very, very recent human history, there is this new category of male. He's not, he's not quite a man, but he's still sort of a boy. It's kind of a boy that can shave. And it's just called a, a dude. <laughs> and a dude is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because what happens is because it takes a man to initiate a boy into manhood. It just does. And because we don't have that rite of passage, because we don't have a clear definition, what begins to happen then is males pursue boyish things to try to declare manhood upon themselves. And it plays out like I got the sweetest rims on my car where I grew up. It was whoever had the most jacked up truck or it could be in in the my manhood is tied up in how much I can consume. I can consume more from you, more, more than you. I can consume more women, more beer, more drugs, more money, whatever it is. And so then sometimes <clears throat> what boys will do is they will chase after success and chase after an accomplishment. Instead of t- taking responsibility, they really just find themselves entitled. And that's where we are. Now, there are two responses to that. There are two responses to the problem of manhood today. One is what we get from the world. <clears throat> and it says this, now we're just the same, Men and women aren't different, they're just the same. We're all the same. There's no difference slight little plumbing variation, but outside of that, we are just the same. Listen, as smart as and progressive as we are, we can't figure out where to go to the bathroom right now. Okay? I don't think we're progressing. So then the opposite of that can come out the wrong way and say, not only are we different, but, but we're, men are better. And that is just chauvinism and it has no place in the church and it has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church has to reject both of those lies and teach the truth of the gospel. Now, the church historically, at least in the last 40 or 50 years, has not helped us very much. Do you know why our church is full of men and most churches don't have a lot of men in them? Because if you go to a lot of churches, a lot of churches message is, hey, to be a Christian man, you really need to be more like women. Right, That's what you do. What do you do here at this church? Well, we read a lot. And you can join the choir. And we like to sit in circles and talk about our feelings. And fundamentally, we want you to sit down and be quiet and behave. And men are thinking, well, if that's what it is, and I don't think I'm going to that. And I don't blame you. I wouldn't go either. Maybe that's why we had to kind of start this church, all right? And so... Let me tell you this, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ does not mean that you have to check your testicles at the door. That's right, I said it, because we've been taught that before. Okay, it does mean to man up, but not in some kind of false, poser, macho way about driving trucks and wearing plaid and boots. Although I do all those things, that's not what a man is. What a man is, is to be who God has called you to be. It is a great high calling to be a man, but he did not give you that title and he did not give you that strength for your own self. He gave it for the glory of God and for the provision and protection of everybody he put around you. And I've got good news for you, men. The Bible has a lot to say about what it means to be a man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, this will be our theme verse over the next six weeks. And, And here's what it says. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. Men, you make no apologies for being a man. And some of you recognize that verse, because ladies, you might not know this. We have that verse written in the bathroom here at the church, okay? And some of you, I mean, you got to read something while you're in there. You might as well read the Bible, all right? And so, uh, But the reality is we live in a world right now that wants you to apologize for being a man. Make no apologies. The Bible says the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name, and you have been created in his image. And we live in a world, I'm telling you, that does not want us to be men. Every kid's movie that my children watch right now, I'm telling you, I can't find one where the dad and the husband is the hero. He's always an idiot and the hamster saves the day. Give me a break. (laughs) You do not have to check your man card to follow after Jesus Christ. In fact, you can't really be a man until you bend that knee and follow after him. You see, men, ladies, you might not know this. The deep fundamental question every single man in here is wrestling with this is this. Do I have what it takes? I know God's called me to be a man, but do I have what it takes? And fundamentally, our greatest fear is that you would find out the real answer is I'm a fraud, and I really don't have what it takes. I really am just an insecure little boy trying to prove myself. And it plays out in so many different ways. Listen, it's why we want to drive fast or have some kind of hobby that we're way too into. It's why we want to make a bunch of money and sell stuff and be on top and be the best. It's why guys chase around a little white ball like that thing really matters. You smack it around and you're like, yeah, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Get in the whole ball, do I have what it takes? Because we're trying to prove ourselves, And the good news, of the gospel is that you, you, you don't have to check your man card. And the moment you get to the place where you realize in and of yourself you don't have what it takes, then that is when you are precisely ready to stand up and act like a man. Because most of us, most of us in this room would say, listen, I'm not, I'm not even sure what the target is, but I'm pretty sure I'm missing it. And the, and the Bible has some really, really, really good news for what it means to be a man. Now, when something is this jacked up, you kind of need to take it all the way back to the beginning to understand the true purpose of a man and what manhood is all about. And to know something's purpose, I think you've got to know its origin and its creator. So go all the way back to Genesis chapter two and that's where we'll pick it up. We're going to start in verse five, but you need to kind of mentally make note of Genesis one God says, let us make mankind in our image and likeness. So male and female, he created them. Here's what this means. God is a triune God. There's one God in three persons, God, the father, son, and Holy spirit. And God's love for God's self spills out onto. Creation and he creates an image bearer. But man alone was not enough. That word image is a masculine word, the word likeness is a feminine word. So he makes male and female. So females alone were not enough to image God correctly. Males alone are not enough to image God correctly. But in the garden and all throughout history, when men and women, when male and female, well, husband and wife, come together in one, it is the closest thing to a complete image of God that we have here on earth. And so after God has spoke everything into existence, when you get to chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man. Men, there are no apologies about you being the man that God has created you to be, that God formed that. He spoke into existence the stars, but when it came to you, he formed you on purpose. And so he formed the man of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And he opened his eyes and the very first man in human history comes face to face with his father in heaven. And that's what you were created for. That's what you were created for. Now, this is important. <clears throat> Before God breathes the breath of life, that word is ruah in Hebrew. It can also be translated spirit or breath. They're the same word. So God puts in the shell of a man his spirit, and in that moment, that's when he became a man. Some of you, some of you have the appearances of a man, but in reality, you're the shell of a male. And my prayer for you over the next six weeks is that God would breathe his Ruah, his spirit, the breath of life in you. You would open your eyes for the very first time. You'd be face to face with your heavenly father and you would step up and be the man that God has called you to be. And so this is what God does with the very first man. He breathed the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Verse eight, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. Notice the man was not created in the garden. He was created in the wilderness. God created him in the wilderness and placed him in the garden. We're gonna see in a little while that the woman was created in the garden. Some things should start to make a lot of sense to you guys. You know the reason you have this kind of warrior stirring in you? If you've got little children, this is where it is the clearest. I have a boy and a girl. They are not the same. Every stick that falls out of a tree is a bazooka to my son. It is a princess to my daughter. Every pine cone that falls out is a grenade. That's just who he is. He's a little warrior. He just is. And I know some of you, that makes you super uncomfortable, so like you don't let your kids have toy guns, because Timmy can't have a toy gun. It's so dangerous. You know what Timmy does every single time? He will chew your grilled cheese that you made him into a little Glock at the table, and you're like, ah! Does he have issues? His issue is that God made the boy to grow up to be a man, and sometimes we need Timmy to turn in those toy guns for real guns one day so they stand on that wall. Wall and protect our freedom. Amen? Amen. 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 You cannot, you cannot drive that out of that little boy. So that's why I like, you know, for Christmas one year, I got my son a machete. My wife's like, really? You think a machete? I think he's seven. I'm like, baby, what could go wrong? And he just wants to attack everything in him. Everything. Maybe God put that in him. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The next few verses mention all these rivers so we'll know where the Garden of Eden was and then we're gonna get to verse 15. When you get to 15 following the rest of the chapter, here's what I need you to know. God gives Adam, the very first man, he gives Adam three things under the context of one banner. The first thing that he gives Adam is this. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The first thing that God gave Adam, the very first man, is work to enjoy. Work to enjoy. Work is not a result of sin. Work is not a result of the fall. That before there was sin, there was work. And so listen to this. This is true for men and women, for sure. But this, men, you need to know this. You were created to work. That God invites Adam, and in a little while he's going to invite Eve too, God invites us to be co-creators in his creation. He He gets Eden started, but then he says, there's still work to do that I want you to do. You are going to subdue and cultivate. And somehow, somehow, we live in a generation where people are like working really hard to not have to work. That is not a biblical value. And here's what work was in the garden. Work was rearranging the raw goods that God had provided for human flourishing. That's what work was. The same thing is true today. This is why I don't believe there is a secular, sacred divide in our vocation. In other words, I don't think my job is holy because I work here and your job is not because you work wherever you work. This is why, men, we need more than a job. You need a calling and a career. If you don't know what that is right now, while you're figuring that out, get you a job. Because your job is to rearrange the raw goods that God has provided for human flourishing. So that might mean you take sticks and stones and you arrange them into a home so that families can be created there. That might mean that you, you rearrange the raw goods of medicine so that you can accomplish the will of God by bringing, by bringing human healing in the lives of people. It it could be in, in banking or teaching our children, but we are supposed to go to work And listen, we have a good dad, we have a good dad that invites his children to go to work with us. Have you ever asked your kid to help you with a project? How much help are they? None, none. And yet, don't you enjoy when they, for a little bit, when they join you in that. That's what God is inviting us to do. So number one is work to enjoy, listen. I think I'm going to get to heaven, and there's going to be an extra book of Proverbs, and most of them are going to come from my dad. My daddy told me this when I told him I was going into ministry. He said, boy, listen, you don't get up and go to fun. You get up and go to work. And that's just true. Men, number one, work to enjoy. Second thing, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The second thing that God gives Adam is a will to obey. He gives him work to enjoy and a will to obey. Now check this out. God was not into rules. God was into relationship. There is only one thou shalt not in the Garden of Eden. There was one no and there was a lot of yes. Eat from any tree, any tree, just stay away from that one. You see, God is a good God. Do you know what some of the commandments were? They were enjoy the garden. They were eat of all of these other trees. One of the commandments we'll get to in a little while is this, when, when Adam meets his wife Eve, it is be fruitful and multiply. That's Hebrew for bow, chicka, wow, wow. That's what that means. <laughs> Praise God. That was God's idea. But I love the commandments, all right? He is a good, good father. The one no, which is true of every commandment is there's this thing over here that will kill you. I love you enough to say stay away from that thing because he's a good dad. So he gives us work to enjoy. He gives us will to obey. Verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the third thing he gives to Adam is a woman to love. Is a woman to love. He gives work to enjoy, will to obey, and a woman to love. Now, let me let me talk to the single guys real quick. This applies to you also. Okay? There are a few people that have the gift of singleness. The only New Testament reason for that would be to, to, to allocate all of your time, effort, and attention towards being married to the church, right? And so if you want to do that, then praise God, God has given you that gift. You can get a whole lot more ministry done than I can because I have a wife and kids. Now, if that is not your desire, then you may not have the gift of singleness, all right? You, you may feel like you've been given that gift and you want to say, can I exchange it? I would like to have a spouse. Praise God. In the meantime, single men, then you love your mama, your sister, and especially your sisters here at the Church of 1122. Because the way you practice will determine how you play. And if you cannot love, honor, and respect every female that God puts into your life, then there's no way one day you're gonna put on a tuck, stand in an altar with me, make a promise, and then be able to all of a sudden love, honor, and respect her. And so this is true. You, You have a woman to love. Also, ladies, need you to see this. See right here where it says, I will make a helper fit for him. We need your help. We need your help. Let me tell you some ways to not try to help during this series, okay? Don't bring up the sermon to your husband at all during the series. You are not his Holy Spirit. So dinner on Wednesday, you don't need to be like, well, when are you going to do the stuff Pastor Joby was talking about? Okay, don't. <laughs> also. If your man has half a brain, what he is going to do sometime in the next seven days is he's going to start stepping into spaces that maybe he hasn't been to in a long time, okay? And so please, 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 don't try to correct him there. Encourage him there. Because I know what some of you are like, listen, you, ain't have to, you had took me on a date since Song of Solomon series. Now you're trying to take me on seven, and I gained 12 pounds at the Olive Garden. All right, man, man the only reason you're doing that is because Pastor Joby said in a man series. Where's that man during the judges series? You know, all right, just relax a minute, darling, right? No matter what he tries to do, okay, here's your response. Ready? Hercules, Hercules. That's it. That is it. I mean, the encouragement from a woman is, I cannot put it into words. I am a relatively successful person. I've run a lot of ministries. People show up to rooms to write down things I say, all right? That that all happens. And when I I tell you, when I feel like the man, when my wife can't get the jar off the jelly, and she hands that thing to me, and I go, there you go, baby. All right? I'm telling you. So that's what he needs. He needs your encouragement, he needs your encouragement. because this should be another proverb, men are like puppies, they repeat what is rewarded. So if he gets it right one time, give him a treat and he'll be, Golly, I should do that again. <laughs> So Adam is given a woman to love. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So you get this God creates all the animals and has Adam named them. And at first, and he's looking for his soulmate, for his helpmate. That's what he's looking for here. And at first, he's very descriptive. I think this is my opinion. In the naming, he's like hippopotamus and rhinoceros and duck-billed platyspus. But along the way, he's like, Lord, this ain't doing it for me, rat, gnat, cat. You know, can we move on? So there is not a helper suitable for him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. A couple things that are very important. You've been to enough weddings to know that, that a part of the reason God took the rib was because they were going to be side by side in their ministry and life forever, co-equals under God. Also, single man, this is very important, notice the order. Adam got everything named and ordered in his life and then God gave him a wife. I have a lot of guys, guys in my disciple group, is like, when's God gonna give me a woman? Hey, if you were God, would you give you one of his daughters? You live at your mom's house, Hoss, okay? And I tell them straight up, what would you do if he gave you a girl? And they're like, oh, I know what I would do. (laughs) Okay, when that 90 seconds was up, what about the rest of your life? (laughs) There's more to it than that there, Scooter, okay? You've got to get your life in order before you can be trusted with a precious daughter of God. The way we like to say it around here is listen. Instead of looking for the one, why don't you become the one the one you're looking for is looking for? Which means take responsibility, get a job, get that will to obey in order, and then maybe you are ready to provide, protect, be prophet, priest, and king. And so if you look in the text, you'll see that the next phrases here, they're indented and they have quotation marks. What this means, uh, the interpreters want us to know that Adam is singing. When he sees his wife, he breaks into song. This is the first R&B song in human history right here. And the man said, this is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. In Hebrew, the word for woman and mine are basically the same word. So here's what this means. He sees a dog. He's like Labrador, cat, monkey. He sees his naked wife and he goes, mine. That's what he says. Not in a possessive owning way, but in a we are going to be together. He calls shotgun on Eve. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. King James says, leave and cleave and they shall become one flesh. In God's economy, in marriage, one man plus one woman equals one for one lifetime. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, here's the thing. Notice the order. They leave and cleave and then they're naked and unashamed. They get married, then they're naked and unashamed. In our culture, we get it backwards. A lot of people get naked, then they get married, and that's why there's a bunch of shame that gets brought into your marriage. Now, God gives Adam three things. Work to enjoy, a will to obey, and a woman to love. Under the banner of worship. Under the, there is no worship service in the Garden of Eden. They don't get together every other Tuesday and sing Kumbaya to God. Their life was worship with God. The way that they lived when they obeyed His will, the way that they worked together, subdued and cultivated, the way that they loved one another was going to be what was going to honor and glorify God. And let me tell you, it's a perfect plan and system, and it goes exceedingly well for this little space right here in your Bible. Less than one sentence. And then we screw it up. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? You see, this is how the enemy always starts. Because the enemy is the father of lies. And what the enemy wants you to do is to believe your doubts and doubt your beliefs. He wants to sneak in there and say, Are you sure about that? Did God actually say? Is that what the Bible means? I know it says that, but that's not what it means. Did God actually say? that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now he didn't say that last part. This is classic legalism. Let me add to a little bit of what God asked for me. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let me tell you the primary lie the enemy wants you to believe. He wants you to think that God is not for you. He wants you ultimately to think that God is not a good, good father and he does not love you and you would make a better God than he would. You know why we sing that good, good father song a lot? Because if we could know those two things, that he is a good, good father. How do I know this? Because he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He's a good dad. He loves his kids. That's just who he is, regardless of what my current circumstances are like. That's just who he is. And if we would know, and I am loved by him, not by anything I have done, but by by what he did on the cross, and if I just knew that I knew that I knew that, then my identity begins to change. And when my identity changes, then everything changes. If We know those two truths, because that is what the enemy is trying to get us to not believe. And so when the woman, verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's called lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life. That's the only three things that the enemy has to throw at us. This is the third time now we have talked about this. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. The most damning preposition in all to all of masculinity here in the Bible. I don't know, somehow most of my life, I always thought Adam was out like polishing his ski boat or hanging a deer stand or doing something real manly, right? Killing or grilling or building a deck or something. But the Bible says, literally in Hebrew, that wither is tra- it is, can be translated elbow to elbow. And the number one problem of manhood is this, passivity. The reason we got to where we are is not because the man did something wrong, it's because he didn't do anything at all. And fellas, there's a lot of us, us, And our internal fear is do I have what it takes? Our external fear is that, is our girl. It is crazy. I'm not afraid of much. I'm not. I like an argument. I like a fight. I like the verbal kind. Honestly, I've been punched a few times. I kind of like it. it gets me warmed up and get going good. Okay, it's just me. I can beat in meetings. I can tell the truth and you can get mad and that's fine with me. I was in a seminary class one time. I was 21 years old, my first year, and my New Testament professor started talking about that she didn't really believe in the resurrection. And so I raised my hand. And I said, I'm pretty sure when I get to heaven, you won't be there <laughs> Bring it on. All right. So I didn't do well in her class. I ain't scared of much. And then I can go home and be terrified of the opinion of the 5 foot hundred, none of your business pound girl <laughs> that I'm married to. This is true, isn't it, husbands? So you ain't going to say nothing because you're scared. you got to go to lunch with her, so I don't care. <clears> then <throat> the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloth, and religion is born. You see, everybody rejects God. We either reject God in the rebellion of the fruit or we reject God in the religion of the fig leaf. We either say, I'm gonna go for what you said stay away from or we say, God, I don't need your son's righteousness. I'll just cover up my own sin and shame. Verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is classic manhood move, duck cover blank. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? On your way out, pick up the Devo that we've printed up. Rusty, one of our elders, wrote it, and it is about that question. Where are you? How silly must that look to God when Adam and Eve run and hide. Thankfully, my kids are growing out of this, but Reagan all the time, she's six now, she would say, hey, Daddy, can we play hide and seek? I go, absolutely, baby, you hide, I'll seek, which means I'm gonna sit here on the couch and watch some more TV until you come back, all right? But she would always go in her room, she'd hide in the same place, then after a little while, she'd like, Daddy, are you coming? I'm like, honey, are you hiding? I am, and so I would go into her room, and she would put her head under the bed, and her whole body is in the floor. And then I would walk into the room, and I would say, are you in here? And she'd go, "Eh, no. (laughs) And then I'd be like, all right, I found you. She'd say, how did you find me? Okay, that's what it's like when we try to run from God. (laughs) Where are you? He knows where they are, but it's an important question. You should ask yourself this right now. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said... Listen, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. God, is it your fault or her fault? I can't tell. Y'all two get together, and I'll receive your apology later. All right? (laughs) Classic man move, man. Duck, cover, blame. And so he goes to the woman, verse 13. What is this you have done? And the woman says, same thing. It ain't my fault. She learned from her husband. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And now because of that, sin is going to corrupt primarily the three things that God gave to the man, the work to enjoy, the will to obey, and his woman to love. And what we're gonna get now is the reason why there are bad things in this world. From the macro level like tsunamis and hurricanes all the way to the micro level where every cell in our bodies have been affected by the twist of sin. And God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, the dust you shall eat all the days of your life, but I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is called the Proto-Evangelion, it's the first gospel. So the first thing that sin corrupts is our will to obey, our will to obey. And from that moment to this moment, you and I have a spiritual enemy that wants to kill, still, and destroy us. And he whispers in your ear, you do not have what it takes. Did God really say that? You see... And the way this plays out, God gives us this gift of a will to obey, and then the enemy twists it either into license or legalism. Into the license of, I'm going to go for the fruit, God, because I think you're withholding something from me. Or to the legalism of the loincloth, where we say, I don't need you to cover my sin. I will cover my own sin and my own self-righteousness. And that's why... In here, on the inside, we begin to realize our problem is not that we sin. Our problem is by nature and nurture. We are sinners, and our will to obey is corrupted. And we want to do the right thing, and evil is right there with us. It's the first curse. The second one, verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. You know what this means? That this woman that God gave Adam to love, now that relationship has been damaged by sin. And what was supposed to be this perfect complement of two different people as image bearers of God now becomes a contradiction and a competition. And ladies, track with me here. You were created to help. And so it's just in your nature to help. But sometimes when you help, what it feels like to your husband is a hostile takeover. That word desire means to take over. And, and instead of being a helpmate to him, you try, you try to sometimes be like a dog trainer. Come on, come on, come on. This is where you put that, and this is what you do here. And here's the way it feels to your husband. And I know you think you're helping. It's a result of the fall. He's telling a story to his buddies, right? You're at the cookout, and he's like, all right, I remember it was like two years ago, Fourth of July, we were at the beach, and you're like, actually, honey, uh, it was six years ago, and it was Memorial Day, and we were at the lake. And, you, and you're thinking, you're legitimately, you're even thinking right now, what's wrong with that? <laughs> He is so lucky to have me to point out all of his flaws. Okay, check this out. You are not his Holy Spirit. He needs your help, not your correction. He needs your help, your support, not your correction. Because what that feels like to him is you just said you are not the man and you do not have what it takes to tell a story accurately. That is why, come on, come on, come on. That's why I am here to correct it. And this is a result of the fall. Some of you, the light should be going off like, oh my gosh, that's what's going on at home. And so the enemy takes this incredible gift of a woman to love and he twists it and the two extremes are either abuse or passivity. That is not what it means to be a man. And then the third thing, the third thing is cursed. It says, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, listen to me husbands. You're like, what does that mean? That sounds awesome. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Did you know you're not supposed to listen to the voice of your wife? You're supposed to listen to her heart. And those two things don't always line up, do they, fellas? I know you're too scared to say amen, but listen. Remember last time you were driving in the car and you knew something was wrong with her and she was looking out the window and you're like, what is out the window? And then it took you a while and you figured out something was wrong. And you said, hey, baby, what's wrong? And she went, nothing. And what'd you do? Good, nothing's wrong. Let's continue on with my agenda. You listened to the voice of your wife instead of her heart because you knew something was wrong. You see, the Bible says that we're supposed to love our wives as unto knowledge. That means we've become a student of her and know her at the heart level, not just what she says. And I'll, give, I'll just give you this for free. Here's a, here's a great way to get to her heart is that when your wife is communicating feelings to you, then you respond with feelings. And if she communicates facts to you, then you can respond with facts. So if, she respond, if she's communicating a feeling, you do not respond with a fact. She says, I just feel so fat right now, feeling. Well, you shouldn't eat as much. Facts. (laughs) Yeah, I learned that this week, okay? That's not what you do. (laughs) And because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. He cursed the work to enjoy. It's not always enjoyable, is it? Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." And so even the work that we do was damaged by sin, and our work wars against us. Notice that all three arenas of Adam's life were cursed and damaged by sin. The will to obey on the inside, the woman to love at home, and the work to enjoy that he goes out to do. All three were damaged by sin. And in regards to the work, then the enemy comes along, takes this good gift of work from God, and then twists it. And the two extremes are either laziness or the idolatry of identifying who you are based on what you do. So then the question is, so uh, so what do we do? What do we do? Is it just try harder, man up, cowboy up? But let me tell you, it won't work. It'll work till Tuesday. That's how long it'll work. And you'll probably, you'll probably just kill your wife and kids in the meantime. Because again, I get I, some people, some wives call me up and They're Listen, man, you kill me when you do these man series because my man goes home and he gets all cowboyed up and he's trying to make up for the last 10 years in the next 10 minutes and it just doesn't work that way. And so the other, the other option is, some guys know, I already know I'm going to fail, so I might as well abdicate my responsibility now. So then the question is, what do we do? Because if we man up and we try to prove our manhood by our own merit, then we end up being a poser. And we think that, the, we think that our manhood is based on like how much money we make or what we accomplish. Or, and that's not it. So, so here's the key. Here's the key. Here's what it is. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. Do you know what this is? This is a foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve, you have sinned, it will be paid for, but I'm gonna do for you what you could not do for you. The blood of an animal will be shed and I will take the garments of that shed animal and I will cover over your sin. So here's the point, men. To stand up and act like a man, you must first bow down and surrender to Jesus. That's where it starts. The fundamental question is, do I have what it takes? The absolute answer is, "Uh uh-uh. It's not, you don't, I don't have what it takes. And the moment you get there, you have set yourself up to submit your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. For the rule of God, the spirit of God, the breath of life to be breathed in you. And then and only then with the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit living in us, can we get off our knees, stand up and act like the men that we are called to be. Because the good news for anybody who is in Christ is that you are more than a conqueror. That his divine power has given you everything you need to accomplish everything that he's called you to do. At work, at home, with your wife, with your kids, internally, externally. That in Christ, you can do whatever it is that he has called you to do. And listen, men, you have what it takes if you will bend your knee to Jesus. And here's how I know. Here's what the apostle Paul teaches in Romans chapter five, verse 17. Paul is talking about Adam, and he's talking about us, and he's talking about Jesus. And here's what he says in Romans 5, 17. He says, for if, because of Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one man. In other words, when Adam sinned, he infected all the sons and daughters of Adam. You know what that means? That by nature and nurture, we are sinners. We are not mistakers in need of a life coach. We are sinners in need of a savior. And because of Adam's sin, it infected the entire human experiment. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ came to do what Adam could not do. Where Adam failed in every arena of his life, Jesus, the second Adam, he comes as the man, the God man, and he lives a perfect life on our behalf. And then when he goes to the cross and he is that, that serpent crusher and he is the lamb who was slain and his garment was made to cover us. Our sins are covered over by the righteous life of Jesus Christ. So here's what that means, men, you can't do this thing on your own. You were not meant to, You will fail over and over and over. You will fail by either kind of playing this role of macho that's just silly, or you'll abdicate the responsibility that God has given you. The ultimate form of strength is to bow your knee before the almighty Jesus and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. In that moment, you surrender your life to Christ. That breath of life is breathed in you. The spirit of God is in you, and greater is he than is in you than anything you'll face in this world. And then you get up off of that mat and you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means you are more than a conqueror. There is nothing that can separate you from what God's call is in your life. Neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, nor things in your past, nor things in your present, nor things in your future. There is no weapon formed against you that can prosper if Christ is in you. And it is time over the next six weeks that you begin to take a journey that changes the trajectory of you and your life, the life of your family, and generations to come kids that won't even know your name 200 years from now, the reason that your whole family tree looks different, it could be traced back to this very moment when you said it's time for me to stand up and act like a man. So if you're with me on this journey, if you're with me on this journey, I wanna ask you, if you wanna be a man, if you wanna stand up and act like a man, I'd invite the men to stand up right now, stand up right where you are, and say, good man, I might not be there yet, but I'm willing to submit and surrender. I'm willing to walk down this road. Ladies, this might be a great time if you're here with your husband or fiance or boyfriend that you would reach out and you would kind of take him by the hand. Listen to me, ladies, listen. All week long, the enemy's going to whisper, because that's what he is. He's a whisperer of lies, and he's going to whisper in your man's ear, you ain't got what it takes, man. He's got all fired up at church, but it'll wear off soon. And I need you being an echo of what God wants to tell these men in their other ear, but you have what it takes. You can do this. I'll tell you what this city needs, this city doesn't need more churches, this city needs more men that will stand up and act like men. You want to see a move of God in this city? Let's have the men of the Church of 1122 lead and love well and everybody will flourish. Men, let me pray for you. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for the men of the Church of 1122. God, I pray that we would be the prophets, the truth-tellers, the priests. God, that the caretakers of souls, God, that we would be the the servant kings, that we would take responsibility for everything that you've put under our domain. God, that we would be the providers, not just provide physically. Animals in the woods do that, God. We would raise the bar, and we would provide safe environments for the people you've put in our lives to be who you've called them to be. And God, we would be protectors, not only protectors of physical harm, but emotional and spiritual. And we would be the men that you have called us to be not by our own light, not by our own power, but by the spirit of the Lord. So God, I pray for a resolve. I pray that from this day forward, we would be different. We, like Jesus, would leverage the platform that you have given us as men to dress ourselves as servants and to wash the feet of the people that you have put in our lives. God, I pray that the next six weeks in this series, Holy Spirit, you would do the miraculous. You would breathe life into the shell of males and you would make us men. And we pray this, we pray this. And the only name that matters when you're praying, we pray this in the good, strong name of our Lord and our savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Ladies, would you stand and would you join us? We're going to respond by worshiping because he's worth it. We're going to respond by bringing our first and our best, our tithes and our offerings because he first loved us by giving us his best, the God, man, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. And we're going to respond in prayer. Girl, some of you are hurting like crazy because some man in your life, some husband, brother, dad, friend, boyfriend, was not the man God called him to be. I would encourage you and implore you to come on and cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. God cares for you. And in couples, let me just tell you, wives, what would bless a whole lot of husbands Often I encourage our men to pray over their wives. For sure, that should be the standard. But sometimes, wives, you just need to minister to your husband. One of the greatest ways you can encourage him is invite him to come to the altar and just pray for him. Let us respond.